Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the Big 5D podcast. We're all about exploring the Africa, Middle East, local and small business tech ecosystem by talking to the people who are building it. The Big 5D podcast is produced by Big 5 Digital, and I'm your host, Charles Laughlin. Today's episode is sponsored by Matchcraft, a global MarTech firm powering local search, social, and display campaigns for partners on six continents. Matchcraft's newest offering is Powered By, an API solution giving third-party platforms access to the technology behind its flagship Advantage platform. Visit them at matchcraft.com. Today's guest is Kennedy Kamau. He's Managing Director of Kune Foods, a Nairobi-based online food business promising healthy, Kenyan-inspired food that is cooked in its own cloud kitchen and delivered by its own team of drivers on electric motorbikes. We wanted to learn more about the Kune business model, how it plans to scale, whether it plans to remain a virtual dining brand only, or if it will become a cloud kitchen for other brands and dining concepts. The company's in the process of building a massive cloud kitchen to support its full rollout later this year. So Kune raised a million dollar seed round earlier this year, and that round attracted a lot of attention, not all of which was good for Kune. Uh, the company's founder, Robin Riecht, is a French national who spent time in Kenya over the years, and he made comments about the business's origins that gave the impression that he came with the idea for Kune after spending just a few hours in Nairobi. Of course, a lot more effort than that went into conceiving the business, but the impression was made. His comments in the TechCrunch interview provoked accusations on Twitter of white privilege, savior complex, and an institutional bias among VCs for expat over African founders. The reaction was strong enough to compel Reek to apologize. So we asked Kennedy about the controversy, and he was very open about addressing it. We'll just let you listen to what he says about it. So let's go to our discussion with Kennedy Kamau, and we hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Kennedy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Charles. Glad to be here. Take these glasses off because they reflect a bit. Um, yeah, so, so welcome to the show. You're in uh, Nairobi, I take it, at the uh, offices of Kune Foods, right? Yes, I am. Great. And you're the managing director, is that correct? Yes, I'm the managing director for Kune Foods. Our founder is called Robin Richt. Great, great. So a lot to get into in terms of your business model. Um, very interesting business model. It has a lot of unique elements to it. It's one of the reasons we're excited to talk to you. First of all, just tell us a little bit, of, just very briefly about yourself, kind of what your previous uh, uh, business journey was and what led you to Kune Foods. So I've been in the startup industry now for close to 14 years. I started off with uh, Steamer Systems LLC, which is a pay-per-use uh, renewable energy company. We provided uh, electrical, uh, solar electrical kits to people at the bottom of the pyramid, and it was very revolutionary. I'm also part of the founding team for Jumia, which is Kenya's largest e-commerce company. I've also been the CEO for Pigiami, which is Kenya's largest uh, online classifieds here in Kenya. I've consulted for the likes of BFA Global, Catalyst Fund, Digital Divide. And also um, I've been in the Antler program where we try to come up with uh, startups. So my experience in uh, logistics, e-commerce uh, was a good fit for Kune because we are a food distribution company as much as we are a food company. Right, which there's some interesting pieces there where I want to get into a second. Yes. So, um, so you sort of just answered the question, but I'll maybe ask you to expand on it a little bit. What attracted you to Kune? 
So the whole business model whereby Kune owns the whole ecosystem from sourcing for the raw materials, cooking the food and delivery is something that uh, I would be very passionate uh, about. And I felt that I have the necessary experience having an e-commerce and a logistics background. And uh, when I reviewed the business model and the unit economics, it made sense to me, especially being from a startup background. And that is why I felt I need to give a helping hand to, to Robin and the team to scale this uh, here in Kenya and then uh, later in Nigeria. Okay, so I definitely want to get to the expansion issue, but let's start with just the basic business model. So as I look at it, I've written a bit about um, various pieces of this, like the cloud kitchen space and the virtual restaurant space. When I look at what you're doing, um, there's a few things that are interesting about it. One is it's it's not a cloud kitchen in the sense of the cloud kitchens, a platform that other brands tap into. Uh, you're using this to create the food under your own food concept, right? Yes. So, yes. and is that the intention going forward or do you have an intention to become both a cloud kitchen and a virtual restaurant? In other words, do you, do you have the intention to use that capacity for others? So the capacity we have right now and our business model is purely being a virtual restaurant, uh, mm -hmm. sort of a dark kitchen. And right. the beauty about this is that we cut out the middlemen. From our, our research, we saw that the restaurants put a markup, the platform puts a markup, and the delivery service provider puts a markup. And all this is passed down to the consumer. Mm -hmm. So what we did is that we are making meals uh, for $4 maximum and $2 entry level. And that is also the cost of the delivery inclusive. So we are not making as big margins as... Uh, other companies and other platforms are making because our premise is to give affordable, healthy, and uh, nutritious meals to, to people which have been cooked using high skills, high culinary skills because we've hired a high, uh, a team of very qualified international and local chefs. Tra local chefs, but trained internationally, sorry. Okay, but they're local chefs. Yeah, it's hard to have a, <laughs> you can't cook virtually. <laughs> um, the, uh, but, Oh, okay. But the food is very Kenyan food. It's, it's the food concept is, is local sort of comfort food from what I'm looking at. Yeah. Yes. How would so you describe it? Don't let me. I would describe it as food that you basically cook for yourself at home. Uh, we are very cautious about the Kenyan food culture and we are trying to give meals that ideally you would cook at home or your mother would recommend for you to eat. We are not a fast food company and we do not intend to sell fast food. Like I said, we are creating healthy, delicious meals that you'd ideally find in your home. And from what I see on the website, basically there's a daily menu. It's it's, it's fairly limited. It's not, you know, a thousand different things. You're, you're giving a few choices every day. Is that, a, is that about right? Yes. So we're trying to change things up a little bit and we'll have a menu on the site for three days. And after three days, it changes. And the same menus will... Uh, are curated for three months. So for three months, the menus will be changing on a daily and a quarterly basis to keep things fresh. Okay. And from what I understood, you, know, you raised the million, we'll get into that a little bit later, but the, um, but at the time when that was covered, the, uh, the description of your status of your business was that you were running a trial within an office complex. Correct me if any of these facts are incorrect, but uh, that is correct. you hadn't expanded into sort of delivering into homes in the, Talk to us about where you are right now with moving past so, that trial. 
We had a very successful pilot and we've, uh, our trial was successful and uh, it proved the concept, it proved the business model. So where we are right now, we have raised over 1.13 million US dollars and that has gone into capital expenditure. Uh, our business model is asset heavy, whereby we have built a factory and we've built local hubs and we've bought assets like uh, electric motorcycles, we brought in a local team uh, to handle Kenya operations. So that has uh, taken a chunk, a huge chunk of our money. But as we speak right now, our factory has been set up. Our menus are ready and we are ready to go into production. We're just doing a few uh, tiny loose, a few loose ends. And by October 1st, we will be in two of the largest uh, supermarkets here in Kenya on our retail end. And then after that, that's when we want to do our on-demand because the on-demand is slightly demanding than uh, retail meals. Okay, so so the supermarkets explain what how that would work. Is that like a, a prepared meal, prepackaged meal thing, or talk about that? A little yes, bit. that is a prepackaged meal whereby they'll be in chillers, and all you do is you have to microwave it for two minutes. So this is be the, the huge uh, the huge chunk of our business because we want to have visibility in over 70 retail outlets uh, in one supermarket and around 50 in the other so that will give us a lot of visibility and we need to get it right okay and then the delivery piece as that rolls out that will be start with hotels is that what you said or so the on demand is what people will uh, buy from our app and from our website that will come now in november after we've uh, Affected okay, that's, the that's with the factory. Well, the factory is for all of that, right? But the, but the factory is for all of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk about the factory a little bit. I understand you're building for capacity of, if I read, five thousand meals a day. Is that correct? Are you? Asking, yes. I mean, you're not there now, right? Because you're not producing that much right now. But that's the ultimate capacity of the of the space. Is that correct? Yes. For the first two quarters, we are going to produce 5,000 meals to try to test the market before we scale and we'll grow as our partners grow. We have already started identifying land for our Giga factory, whereby we plan to produce 80,000 meals per, per day. So we'll scale really fast once the, the big factory is up and running uh, early next year. Okay. So what have you... What data or what uh, customer feedback or what anything that you can share with me tells me tells you <laughs> and you'll tell me that once the you open this up the demand will be there what what market signals are telling you that that's going to work so a lot of people have been knocking on our doors we have our corporates office complexes who have uh, come in to sign up with us and we're already underway to put up vending machines in their offices that is a corporate line uh, corporate side of the business on our retail, I've told you we've signed two uh, supermarkets and they have uh, widespread across the country and we plan to give them 3,000 meals per day. So that only leaves us with 2,000 meals to do our on-demand in Nairobi. We have already created a new hub uh, in a place called Industrial Area to serve the people in the Eastlands area. So we are getting a lot of, uh, a lot of interest and we are sending a lot of partners. And once we are operational, all our food will be accounted for and bought for. That's okay. why we need to build the Giga factory to produce 80,000 meals per day, because our forecast by the end of 2022 is to be able to have a capacity of around 50,000 meals a day plus. And, and the, uh, the larger factory, when is that going? Is that in production? Is that in development now? What, what's the status? So of what we've done right now is that we've identified the land. We have brought in the architects and... Uh, we are going through the regulatory process to make sure that we have environmental standards we, and it's, the land is ideal for the factory. Mm -hmm. We are planning to start building next year in January. 
after we raise our seed money. So that is where we are right now. The the next comment I was going to make is that this, you need a lot more money. (laughs) Yes. uh, Yeah, the million was great, million in change, but uh, you're going to need a, a, yeah, obviously, I don't, you probably can't tell me what the size of that round will likely be, but uh, uh, this is going to be a cap, this is going to eat up a lot of capital. You know, that yes, um, our business model is capital intensive, and but the returns really do make sense because uh, Launch Africa, one of our investors, went through our, our due diligence and our, our pitch deck and business uh, unit economics, and it made sense for them. Uh, but for the Giga Factory, we will need a substantial amount of money uh, to build it because it will be a state-of-the-art Giga Factory, one of the largest in Africa. And it will be producing uh, ready to eat uh, meals, uh, eighty thousand plus uh, a day. So it's it's really big. It's huge. Mm-hmm. So just a small point: the the, the ready to meet. I understand that. I mean, then you package them up in cellophane or whatever, and they're microwavable. The yes. on demand that's a hot meal delivered like any other sort of food aggregate. Yes, that's a hot meal. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, which do you think is going to be the bigger piece of the business: the the prepared or the on demand? Or is it, does it matter? Uh, I would say that pre, uh, the pre-made. Okay. Okay. Because so, so yeah, that's that's what, that makes you very different from a lot of ghost kitchen, virtual restaurant types, which are more about the on-demand, you know, hot meals to the home. Um, kind of puts you again in sort of a hybrid uh, situation, which has kind of described your business in a lot of ways. Um, so the other thing I'm curious, uh, there's a lot of things to get into, but I'm curious about whether this, you're thinking about different food concepts underneath the same umbrella. I mean, this home cooked meal, I get it. It makes a lot of sense because, you know, that's what a lot of people, you know, they just don't want to cook, but they want a home cooked meal. I get that. But is there thought about a Kune, you know, I don't know, noodles or Kune, you know, more fast food or more something, you know, uh, burgers, I don't know, but there's a million food concepts you could pursue. Is the idea to kind of extend your brand into other food concepts or? Yes, so these two products, the retail and the on-demand are entry-level meals. Uh, We have created a huge menu, but we want to remain healthy. So we wouldn't go the bug away, we'd explore other things. Mm -hmm. And one of the products that we are really passionate about is uh, Kune Health, whereby it's a healthy alternative uh, green food, green salads. Okay. Uh, we also want to venture into Kune Baby, which is uh, baby food for babies who are winning off breast uh, breastfeeding. Okay. Down the line, we also want to do pet food. So we have uh, a whole uh, line that's of products that's that we want to launch. That's a curveball. I didn't expect pet food. Uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, well, well, we'll get to that later. But uh, so, um, and, and again, there's never any thought to becoming a um, third party factory ghost kitchen for anyone else. So that is not in our, in our, in our lines right now. And we've been approached by other platforms also for them to sell our food. But we feel once we allow our brand to be sold in uh, other platforms like Uber Eats or Global, the price will not make sense for the consumer because they, they, they put a, mark, a markup of 35% and add a delivery fee and that will essentially make our food expensive just like theirs. So we want to keep to own our whole ecosystem. Okay. So you're not, um, so you have no relationship with any of the agri- food aggregators uh, like, 
I think of Uber Eats as a food aggregator because, you know, they, they you know, basically it's a directory of restaurants you can buy from. They Obviously, the markups are there and et cetera. So, so not being part of that, it's, are you part of those in any way? Um, no, we decided not to be part of that because we want to uh, keep the promise we make to our clients that our food will be affordable. Okay, that, that's fine. So then that leads to the sort of the branding and marketing challenge that you have. Um, you know, PR gets you so far. How else are you uh, getting the word out? I mean, I, you just spend money on advertising, but then that's another uh, pressure on the on the funding. Uh, but talk to us about how you're efficiently, you know, getting your brand out there. So well, we want to leverage on digital marketing. So the normal search engine optimization and the, and the ads. But because we have very good partners, the supermarkets that we are partnering with, we want to ride on their success on this. And we will use them exhaustively to make sure that we get the word out there. So uh, our brand packaging uh, call for action is for guys to buy also from the website and also from the app. So we are trying to play and leverage on the success of our partners and also on digital marketing. Okay. And there was some talk about influencer marketing. Could you talk a little bit about how, with chefs? And I assume that would be with chefs and that sort of thing. But talk about that. Yes. So we are building our own studio kitchen, whereby we will be creating our own content. Mm -hmm. And where we are coming from is that because this is our home cooked meals uh, done by professional chefs, we want to use influencers who are relatable. So one aspect is that we will be calling or people will nominate their mothers, their aunties, or someone who they feel can make a good meal to be our one of our content creators. Okay. We are also working with an uh, artificial intelligence marketing company called iFluence, which is based here in Kenya, which is an uh, artificial intelligence marketing using influencers. Oh, I and think they we've written about them, I, I believe. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we are partnering with Nelson Aseka and his team yeah. To, to, to try to push the content using relatable uh, influencers on Instagram. So those okay. are the two ways that we are going to use the influencers. The influencers have to be relatable to, to, our, uh, to our client base. So we do not, uh, we're not looking for celebrity chefs. We are looking for the ordinary person. Okay, that makes sense. And that's, um, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Because it's not like, you're not a, don't take this wrong, but it's not like a fine dining thing. It's a comfort food, home-cooked meal thing. Yes. So it's not about the celebrity chef, I would imagine. That's probably not a really a natural fit. Um, okay, so I, I want to talk about the uh, few more issues I want to get into. I don't want to be mindful of your time. The whole idea of uh, this full integration uh, with the delivery, etc. Talk about the thinking behind deciding to own your own delivery. Because I would think that's something, a decision most don't make. I guess it's, it's, there's examples of both, but uh, a lot would just say, let's just, you know, use BOTAs or whatever. And so we'll talk about why you did that, because that's a lot more more pressure on the capital, right? Yes, it's more pressure on the capital. Uh, capital. And uh, this was brought about because of what we want to offer our clients. And for us to be able to give them uh, meals that are affordable, we need to own the whole value chain and try to cut as much costs as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, one, one key area that you have mentioned about the bikes and all, we are getting 60 electric bikes, which will be uh, ridden uh, by lady drivers. Uh, so we've trained uh, 60 lady riders or captains, as we call them, mm -hmm. to do the delivery. And because they never get to see the people who are making the food and they never get to see Kennedy and they get to see the app, they only get to see the riders who's doing the delivery. 
So our app has to be top-notch and our riders need to feel that they're part of the company. That's why we're taking them as full-time employees because they are the face of the company. So they're not gig workers? No, they're not gig workers. They're full-time employees, pensionable, and have uh, health insurance. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, And the choice of electric bikes, was was that as much... um, green branding as it was cost or was that just cost driven talk about that so we we looked at it from both ends but uh, as a company we are we are profit driven and the economics of having uh, electric bikes make more sense than having uh, gas bikes mm-hmm. also because we want to bring in lady captains who will be riding the bikes it's much easier to ride an electric bike than it is a motor driven uh, bike so we want to make it easier and smoother for them uh, on operational uh, perspective Okay, that, that, that makes sense. Um, so you're, you have international expansion uh, ambitions. Um, yes. talk, to me, I, I, this is some feedback. To me, this feels like a model that really needs to be proven before you talk about taking it to another country. So talk about that. I mean, talk, what, is, what is your thinking about, okay, when are we ready to go international? Or do you already have, I mean, are those plans already underway? Or Talk about that. So yes, we have plans to go regional first. Uh, mm-hmm. Our eyes are on Nigeria and South Africa. Mm-hmm. Two reasons. We are very confident that Kenya will be a success. Two, we also want to ride on our venture capital's uh, reach and uh, areas of operation because Launch Africa is in Nigeria and it is in South Africa. And they have all other existing businesses there that we feel we can partner for us to scale. And they have been confident uh, with us and they are going to help us do that. But with Kenya, we have no doubt that we will scale. This model has been proven uh, in Europe uh, by a company called Fishti. We are doing something similar, but not the same thing because we are curating our own uh, menus and customizing mm-hmm. to the local community. But we are very confident that this business model will be a success here in Kenya. Okay. And so what is the timing? You said quickly. What does quickly mean in terms of the timing for international expansion? So we we plan to be in Nigeria, hopefully by next year. Okay. That's pretty aggressive, I would say. That's, that's um, pretty aggressive. I would imagine there'll be a funding round before that happens, right? Um, yes. Okay. Fair enough. And how, what is the size of your team when you have the drivers and the corporate staff and the, the kitchen staff, et cetera? How big are you guys right now? So we anticipate the full team at launch date in October to be 200. Right now, all the riders have been trained and been onboarded. So we have not taken them in as an employee and they are 60. But as a team right now in the corporate office, we are at 30 now. Okay. Okay. So still small, but but growing. Yes, still small. (laughs) But once we start now cooking the food, that's when we grow. Yeah, yeah. Question I ask um, everyone is because I hear this a lot, and you're not so much. I'm sure you have engineers because you have an app. You have everyone has engineers, right? But um, you know, be obviously hiring a, a pretty good variety of, of skill sets. But I, I talk to everyone about because it's often raised this issue of um, t- access to talent being under some strain right now. Are you experiencing this? So for us, it's it's very different because we've attracted a lot of bars, especially on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And we've had to expand our talent team to cater for the number of uh, applications that are coming in. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, partnership requests from companies that are abroad, who are especially Africans in the diaspora who want to give, up, uh, give back to African startups. So we've not had a, had a huge challenge with talent, both locally 
and internationally, and also getting people who just want to help uh, a startup, especially the guys in the diaspora, uh, to grow. So we have a guy called Lamy from Bantaba, who has uh, brought together a huge collection of skilled uh, Africans living abroad who are giving us a hand on a few things. Our talent team is also uh, shortlisting a huge pool of qualified uh, Kenyans who want to be part of the team. So we've not had a challenge with talent here. Okay, because I hear, you know, the, uh, the what I hear is the, particularly in developers, uh, the, the price is going up because of so many international companies hiring yes. remotely into, into Africa. But anyway, uh, moving on. Um, so I have to ask you about the, the controversy that came up when the, um, <laughs> when the uh, fundraise happened. And um, I wrote about this a little more, sort of following the story. I, I saw what happened on social media. I got I have a couple questions. It seems to be dying down, uh, at least yes. in terms of just I, I've been following Twitter, you know, uh, okay. just to see if that, that seems it seems to be dying down. But when it happened, it took a lot of people I maybe who are, you know, in steeped in this uh, by surprise. But were you surprised by this? And then how did it impact the business in terms of uh, partnership discussions, investor discussions? I mean, what was the fallout? really and how did you did it cause any thinking any any changes to how you think about the business so that incident was very unfortunate and it comes uh, on the premise of something that had happened before there was a huge uh, discussion on african startups uh being not fully african owned and uh that has been the discussion that has been going on and right. we cannot uh, hide our face uh, about that. Mm -hmm. So we uh, just took fire that was not aimed at us directly, but it was part of a bigger discussion. In terms of uh, backlash and fallouts, uh, we were lucky enough because uh, our investors were know what was uh, knew what was going on. The team itself knew what was going on and also our partners. Uh, everybody knew that this is part of a bigger discussion, which is not about Kune at all. It is something that maybe the VC world needs to look at. Also, local investors need to invest more on uh, companies in their own uh, country than uh, looking for uh, investments elsewhere. So it's part of a bigger discussion that is not something that Kune can tackle alone and something that we are... Hey, Kennedy, I'm uh, getting a little uh, inter interruption in the line. You're bad internet. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, uh, I, I, you were finishing the point that this was, um, you know, kind of you were taking, you're taking fire for a because of a bigger issue, and I, I understand that because I know that issue of uh, expat founders, you know, perception that they get money a lot easier is out there, and that was out there, and and maybe this he's just going to walk into this maybe to some degree. Uh, that's fair, but uh, you were sort of saying that your investors get it before the the interruption in the line and that that you know they they understood what was going on there was no you know nobody was surprised in that yes. sense there, there was no there's no backlash it's a it's a conversation that my founder has had with them and they totally understand that this is a conversation that is not directed at kune it's only that we uh raised substantial amount of money for 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 startup we are part of a small team of uh, startups in Africa that have raised one million pre-seed, 
and it, it drew attention, and which is totally understandable. But our partners are confident about us. Our, our investors are partners are confident about us, and also we are cautious of that discussion. Also, and we are want would like to tell people who want to venture into the food tech space that there's enough customers for everybody, and nobody should shy away from this. Okay, so so I guess there's no way to ask this, but directly. But has Robin sort of taken on a different role in any way because of this, or uh, at least publicly? No, Robin is still our founder, and he's still very hands-on, especially on the uh, factory creation. Um, he's one of those guys who you'll find in the factory, walking around, trying to change things and make sure things are working. Okay. Uh, so he's still very much in, in full control. He's also in charge of the expansion and building the Giga factory. Uh, for myself, I'm taking a role on the day-to-day -day running of, of things. Yeah. But he's still uh, very much in the picture uh, and still very much on top of things. Okay. Great. Well, I'm glad we could address that because, you, you know, my, my perception was, yeah, it was the, 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 the dollar amount was kind of what had people, you know, and maybe the way this, the founding story was positioned, which I'm guessing is probably not, it made it seem like, oh, after three days, you figured the whole thing out. I'm sure there was way more to it than that, but, <laughs> but that's kind of how it came across. Uh, and then, then with $1 million, I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, come on. And, um, but you know that that was probably based on a, a, a. It's never that simple. It's never. I was here for three days and then no, I no, figured it's, everything it's, it's out. It's never right? that simple because <laughs> Robin has spent a considerable time in Kenya. He, mm -hmm. uh, before he settled in Kenya, he had come for vacation very many times. He has spent around two years trying to build this company behind the scenes, mm -hmm. and all this is documented on on his pitch deck and uh, his business proposal, his financial metrics to the investors. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you know what it takes to get that type of money. You, they need to do a lot of due diligence. They they need to have proof of concept. They need to make calls. Right. So they, we, we were whole. We have vetted the whole process, but I think people did not understand, and that side of the story was not given to them. Right. And we we totally we totally understand where they're coming from and right. we dealt with that. No, I mean, was truth is, you know, more, more uh, Africans should be funded, right? And it's like, you know, there's <laughs> yes. no question about it. And, um, and I do talk to a lot of expat founders. Um, yeah. So there's no question that that is uh, a thing. So it's, it is understandable that if someone maybe is, comes across as a little too eager or whatever, um, that they're gonna and they raise a little too much money, <laughs> that, that that they're gonna spend a few days in the barrel, as we say, and uh, I guess that's what happened. But um, yeah, these things tend to blow over, and I think that's probably what's happened here. And uh, I think it's all really is this business viable, and is it gonna? Are you guys gonna execute? That's what's gonna. And is the food good? Yes. So <laughs> the burden the burden now falls upon us to to prove yeah. that the business model works, yeah. and also to keep on our promise of giving affordable, healthy, and uh, delicious meals. So the burden is on us now to prove this starting this October. Great. Well, we wish you luck with it. I've used up about uh, half an hour or so of your time, and I want to be mindful of it. I know you're a busy man. Um, but this has a great, been a great conversation. I feel I understand Kune a lot better now, and. Uh, Thank Our you listeners much, will as well. <laughs> so thank, thank you, you very, very much, much for, for joining us. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me too. Okay, great. Thank you very much.